But God is good, and I love the scripture. I, want to talk, I really had a different message planned today, and I, I love talking about the blood of Jesus because the blood from the crown of Jesus indicates that God is restoring royalty. He's restoring um, uh, leadership and rulership. He's restoring dignity back to people. And most people just struggle to make a living. And when the blood, that was the curse on the ground for man's sake. And when they put that crown on Jesus, that blood hit the ground and broke the curse of struggle and of weakness. And if not careful, most people just live weak. They avoid conflict, they avoid hard things, and they just are kind of trying to get through it. But how many know that God called you to conquer in life? Wave your hand, say, God called me to conquer in life. And he did. And you have to, you have to kind of get out of the, the nature of Adam, which is to kind of slide through and slide by. And you have to get into the nature to whatever you're confronted with. Don't ask, why am I confronted with this? Ask, how can I conquer it? Because either you're going to live in this kind of a, a, a sad despair where you are just feeling like you're attacked and overwhelmed and why, why, why me? Or you're going to get in touch with your inner winner and you're going to begin to say, God called me to win in this situation. In fact, in this life, you don't really have problems. You have opportunities. You have tests. And like I've said before, you don't fail a test in this kingdom. You just keep taking it till you pass. Haven't you noticed that same person that you got rid of, someone just like him showed up in your life? You're like, hey, what the deal? You're a different person, but in ways you're the same. Right? You, got, you, you try to avoid one conflict in your life, and you're like, I'm just, I'm just forget it. I'm out. And you say you're out, and then next thing you walk right into one just like it. And you're like, you know what? It seems familiar. The names have changed to protect the innocent. But it seems like I'm still in the same mess I was in uh, last time. And you're still going to, you know, we don't like to confront things because, you know, we have this nature, especially Southerners, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, right? And, you know, life doesn't afford you that opportunity. How, you know, how many know when you start raising kids, you better learn how to confront? Or they're going to confront you. You spank them or they spank you. And life is like that. You, you wish people, how many just wish people would just be nice and be just like you? <laughs> and every, like some of the kids are saying, you talking about my mom, she's... She's the problem. And I mean, sometimes we, we think that life should be fair, you know. It needs to be fair, man. I, it's not fair. You know, they did this or he did this. She said that. And life is full. And the closer you get with people, you find out people are a mess. They are. They're a mess. And being around people, even if you're married. I mean, I'm mostly right all the time. But there's that one or two times that I realize, you know, this is just not as easy as it is on paper, it's a mess. And part of it is you get emotional, you, get, you have all these moments where you become like, the, you have the opportunity to become a moral coward where you don't want to confront, I'm just not going to say anything. And then you end up with too many things you said, I'm just not going to say anything. And, pretty, and many times the people close to us, you think, the people, you think, oh, you know, we never have problems because I love her so much or I love him so much or I love them so much. You know the people you have the biggest problem with? Your own family. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Because you know what? They have the right to hurt you. You gave them the permission to hurt you deeper than anybody else. And you don't care what anybody else thinks, but what they think, they nobody has the power to bring you down like your family can bring you down. 
And when you get, and when you get hurt by a family member, you're like, I ain't going to say anything. And then it gets worse. And then at Christmas time, you have to pretend. Or you have to, or Thanksgiving, you have to, it all comes up and you ask your question, like, man, I'm a Christian, and how come I get along with everybody else but the people I love the most? I'm not saying, is, am I the only one talking? Am I talking to myself? That might be. I don't know. But really, you know, really, we can't even identify hurt for those people, like on Facebook, that say something mean. They don't hurt us, they just made us mad. But the only people that have the right to hurt us are the ones that we let inside of our invisible shields, which happens to be our friends and families, those people that we trust with our heart. And it becomes a real issue of courage. It becomes a real issue of your willingness to have the moral courage to say, can I talk to you? I mean, for some people, those words are like impossible. Like, I can't. I said, well, just go talk to him. I can't. I just can't. Just go talk to him, please. You know, I've been in this uh, racket. <laughs> For a while, I've been in this business of helping people. Most marriage problems, most family problems, most interrelational issues, whether it's black and white, men, women, I don't care what it is that people are so mad. The highest percentage of the problems that people have is misunderstanding because somebody didn't have the courage to say, what did you mean when you said that? Or someone didn't have to say, you know, and I was kind of kind of. Sense. Silly, but you know, when, when you didn't come to the birthday party, it hurt my feelings. And I've been mad. And they're like, what? I didn't even think you wanted me to come. Well, I didn't. But then you didn't come, and then I got mad. You know how it goes. Your wife tells you don't buy me anything for Christmas, money's short, and then you don't buy her anything, and she's mad. You're like, what? You told me. Like, don't tell a man anything that requires an explanation. <laughs> because if you tell him, don't buy me a Christmas present, I got a hint for you. He ain't buying one. Don't think he's going to feel guilty and say, oh, I'm going to get something anyway. See, he's not, he's not going to get anything. He thinks you actually meant don't get me a present. And look, and women are so special. They're wonderful. They never met a pair of shoes they don't like. I don't know what that means. I'm wearing the same shoes since like the seventh grade. Not really, but I, but I can't understand need a new pair of shoes. I'm like, you want a pair of shoes? Again, you just got some. Yes. And they've always got that thing, you know. I can't afford not to buy them because they're on sale. They're actually making money by spending money. I don't even understand. I'm making money. You don't realize. And why did I say that? I'm not just picking on women. I'm just saying, can you imagine all these kind of people in a family together, at a table together? Has anybody ever been on a cruise? We should go on a church cruise like soon, all together. <laughs> yes, let's do it. Until three days in, like, I hate these people from the church. I'm looking for another church. I didn't know they was like that. <laughs> you know, on a cruise, they make you sit at a table just like the one you're at. You know, that's the part I hate the worst about the cruise. It, like someone tells you, oh, you'll be seating at uh, group seating tonight. I'm like, ah. I'll go eat a cheese sandwich on deck. I'm gonna forego, I'm gonna forego the lobster to have the cheese sandwich because I would just don't, I just have this aversion to being, I'm on vacation, I don't want to talk to people. What can I get any witnesses out there? I didn't come here to talk to people. But you know, but you get at the table and you actually, you know, grin through it, and you're like, they say, one guy, you know, happy go lucky guy is like, so how you doing? You're like, oh, here we go. 
I'm fine. How are you? So where are you from, fella? And you're like, oh, I got that guy. Three times a day I got that guy. And, you know, you, then you realize, you know what, you don't really, but, but, you know, about five minutes later, you start, like, liking him. Like, you, you realize he likes hot rods, and so do you. And you're like, hey, man, I like that guy. You're leaving the table high-fiving because you had a little misunderstanding that you didn't want to know them, but you did want to know them. And that's the way it is in most relationships. We really love people. And this time of year, we have the great opportunity to bridge these awkward hurt feelings, things, and, and sometimes we just uh, sing the song, give a hug, and leave those opportunities uh, unchanged. And sometimes we don't even see ourselves as the person who needs to say, you know what, we just need to talk. It's the hard thing, man. I mean, I understand. Look at somebody say, it takes courage. See, and some people, it just freaks them out when I say, well, listen, why don't you just, young brother, just talk to him? It's probably going to be, it probably is going to be ugly. But it's going to be ugly before it gets beautiful. And you have to stop looking at that moment that there's going to be a confrontation and see if you can win some of these things back. Now, I wish I could tell you all you got to do is communicate and all your problems are going to go away. I wish that was true. But I can tell you most of them will. If you, you know, kind of get a new script that you're not the person who runs, but you're the person who conquers. And that you love people enough to say, look, I love you. But, and I know it sounds silly, but that hurt my feelings. And you don't, see, people don't really see where you're coming from until you tell them where you're coming from. They just assume. See, people see where they're coming from. That's, have you ever been in a fight with your wife? And then she's talking and you're thinking about what you're going to say next. And you're not even here. She's going, blah, 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 like Charlie Brown's mom. Oh, and you're thinking, I know what I'm going to say next. I hope she be quiet. Because <laughs> I got something I need to say. And that's not really communicating because you, you're not here where she's coming from, but you're all thinking about where you're coming from. And what happens is that, that's, the, that's the coward's way out to speak your own mind. But to stop and say, well, tell me, let me just calm down and say, let me, this is probably misunderstanding. Just say that with me. Say, this is probably misunderstanding. <laughs> See, the reason that this is important is because the people you love most are the people you get the maddest at. And they're the people that you may never speak to again. You say, that's not true. Oh, that's true. I've seen it over and over. I've seen too many funerals with people that don't even like each other anymore for some silly event that happened. And this becomes for us, and it's not just family, but it is life. It's jobs. It's promotions. It's all of these things involve hurt feelings and communication and the need for you to become courageous. And that's what the blood is. When you think about the blood from the crown, it can take out that moral cowardice inside of you that says, I just can't call. And I, I just can't write the note. I just can't. You can. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And if you don't, who will? You're going to let this relationship die because you just don't want to talk to somebody. What if it doesn't work out? It might not. But so what? That's not the issue. The issue is the courage to live free. The courage to say, as it, as, as it does up to me, it's right. Everything's right. That you, like that song where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. you got to live in that. And you can only live in that if you have the courage to tell the truth. And even if you're wrong, it's never wrong to say, I feel this way. Because feelings really aren't wrong. They're just true. 
You don't have to say who was right and who was wrong. You just need to say, this is how I feel. And when someone else, 90% of the time, when someone else tells you how what you did made them feel, you get it. And you're like, I'm so sorry, I didn't even realize. Most people, even in this room, most people are good people, even Dallas fans. Most people, I know it's hard to believe, I know, I said it and I felt like a liar when I said it. (laughs) Jesus, I did feel like a liar. (laughs) But you know, most people are really good people, and especially your family and close friends. And the longer you stay distant and fake in those relationships, the worse it's going to be. The longer time that you wait, that's why the Bible says, uh, be angry, but don't sin. And don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Because that space of time that you don't make it right and you don't fall back in love. Well, I'm not going to be in love with them if they're not going to be in love. Why not? That's how you win, you know. You win by saying, I don't care how you feel about me. I'm going to love you. How many know Brother Eddie Robertson? Some of you know him. Brother Eddie Robertson, he's a black man, but you would never know it because he's just a man. And Brother Eddie Robertson, he's a black man. He experienced all the negative things that that prejudice and um, racism and all that stuff. He experienced all that. He's from Ponchatoula. But Eddie Robertson could go to a Ku Klux Klan rally and they would love him. He would throw that smile on him, give him a hug. They were like, oh, I thought you were black. Well, I am black. And you'll find that if we don't go to our corners and and get all angry and judgmental at each other, if someone crosses and says, I don't care what you do, I'm going to love you. You don't have to even say you're sorry. I don't care. I just love you. And I'm going to leave this with you. I'm going to leave this with you. Wave your hand if you know what I'm talking about. See, the subject I'm really talking about is something simple. It's a simple subject like the courage to, uh, to carry the thing. The courage to say, I don't really, I'm not the one that has to do something, but I'm going to do it. I've been married 41 years, and I'm super, super in love. I'm not saying that to brag. It's just really true. But I understood this. I don't need to be right. And I have become an expert at saying I'm wrong and saying I'm sorry. That's the secret to a happy marriage. You're about to laugh. Somebody's about to laugh. But it kind of is. It kind of is because I'm a person who likes to be right. And generally speaking, I'm always right. At least I think I am. But you know, sometimes I have to step back and consider the possibility I'm probably wrong some way. And the moment you, you step out of that stronghold of I have to be right and you step into, you know what? I'd rather have a kiss than have a fight. I don't care. What's it going to take to get the kiss? Okay, I'll do it. And when you realize it really wasn't worth it, it wasn't worth the drama and how mad you were and you can't let that go. Why can't you let it go? Jesus let you go. Well, they were lied. How many times did you lie? Oh, you know you did. You saw the wrong ticket on that sweater. You bought it for $3. You know that was a $3 sweater. God's blessed me. God did you just lie. God didn't bless you. You know, we, we get it like that on our high horse and like we're the, I'm, I, I, God don't, won't allow us to be on the, in those places. God allows us weakness in our life so we're not so doggone cocky and religious. And so you just accept it. You know, God left me with weaknesses, therefore I'm probably wrong. And I've probably seen it wrong. 
That doesn't mean you lose all confidence and you lose your opinion, but it means you lose that edge that says, I ain't, they're going to have to call me. I ain't going to call them. I ain't going to stop all that. Well, he fired me. So what? You probably deserved it. About five years from now, you're going to realize you did deserve it. But right now, you still think, you know, you have a case, but you don't. Ask the people you work with. They'll tell you, like, oh, you had to get fired. But sometimes we don't want to hear the truth. We just want to make it somebody else's fault. And so all of that, what am I saying? All of that is cowardice. And the blood of Jesus in your life means that you don't have to be that coward who says, I'm scared to talk and make it right. I'm scared to say I'm sorry. It's not easy, but it's good and it's healthy. So the blood of Jesus helps us change those deep parts of us that are really affecting our lives, those deep fears that affect our lives in real ways. Some people are mad at their own kids. Recently, I was at a funeral where the guy wouldn't even speak to his own son at his funeral. Of course, he was dead. It's another story. <laughs> I, don't want to, I don't want to explain it, but it was before he died. He didn't want to speak to his own son. I... <laughs> wow, Pastor, that was deep. I know. I, you have to think about it for a while. That's how deep that was. But, you know, people, even in the face of tragedy, sometimes they, 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 they realize how cold they are. And they think they're holy, but really they just have isolated themselves with their own unwillingness and their own hardness. And sometimes we, we shut off our love and harden our hearts to protect ourselves, and we think we've done well. I don't care anymore. But you do, but if you keep talking like that, you won't. And when you stop caring, something bad happens. It's really true. And Christmas is always the opportunity. This season is always the opportunity to say, come on, man, forget about it. Who cares? I'm not saying put yourself in harm's way or go into business with somebody. I am saying just go into a hug with somebody and say, I don't care. How many want God to treat you that way? Well, then, then hey, is it so hard for you to do it? So I want you to read, I love this scripture. Psalm 68, 5 through 6 says, To the fatherless, he is a father. To the widow, he is a champion friend. To the lonely, he gives a family. To the prisoners, he leads into prosperity until they sing for joy. And I want you to pull one little thing. When we had these tables here, I wanted to just take this opportunity. To the, he puts the lonely into families. And lonely can just be the isolated, the, the hurt feelings. You know, you walk, you're around people every day that are lonely. Some are rich, some are poor. You walk around people, you go to work with people every day who doesn't have a family. Our job is to be, have the courage to make the first step and say, you know what? You come into my family. Of all the, all the great family traditions that I had growing up with my family, I had six, uh, five siblings and a grandmother, mom and dad, and Christmas a big deal. But we would always have two or three, you know, strays at the house, like somebody from Iran or <laughs> we'd always have somebody that would just be right. And nobody in the family would be upset because we understand the heart of God is to, to bring lonelies in, to bring the lonely into families. And some people, that's just healing for them. 
on the top of over our fireplace in my house, there was a family picture. And there's a guy in the picture. I don't even know who the guy is. I was like, he's in our family? I don't even know him. I only know him as Jacqueline Fonion. That's what they called him. I don't even know his last name. I said, who is that? That's Jacqueline Fonion. How did he get in the family picture? They're like, you know, they didn't actually say it, but I learned this tradition that God puts the lonely in the families. And if you have a great family, you should invite people into it and stop hogging it for yourself. You got to have the, the courage to do what it takes to, to live this life, to give and to, to heal and to be a healing. And I, this, the, the picture that I want to give you today with these tables uh, as we're getting ready to, well, you know, I love having communion. We're going to have communion. Communion is a table. They call the communion the table of the Lord in the Bible. It's a table that it's a feast. Like Chris was saying, it's a feast that says, you know what? This is not just for me, man. This is a feast for everybody. It's a feast that forgives all your sins, that heals all your diseases. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a feast that reconciles all of your relationships. It's a feast that absorbs all of your bitterness. It's a feast that brings you into eternity and it's just one of those things that we are given this place to bring people to the table. Not only our family and friends, but everybody. You know, the two um, first sons of Adam and Eve, what were their names? Cain and Abel. Abel is a sweet guy. Cain gets jealous and kills him. And God hears that blood crying out from the ground and says, Cain, where's your brother? He says, am I my brother's keeper? And I, you know, it's like, uh, I'm not picking on Christians, but it's like Christians say it all the time because they're so busy and things are, they say, you know what, that ain't none of my business. The people I work with, the people I'm around, I really, you know, I left these tables because I was so blessed to meet all of Jen's friends here at, you know, Jen up here. She had all her friends from school here. And I'm not saying they're super lonely or anything, but I just thought it was beautiful that this room was filled with people who don't go to our church or maybe don't go to church at all. But I just, it's a beautiful thing, you know, that people are all welcome at the table of the Lord. And that's a, that's a responsibility to say, you know what, uh, this great life is not just for me, it's for everybody I know. Now, there was this guy in the Bible in 2 Samuel named Mephibosheth. It's a difficult name to say. He was the son of Jonathan, and there was a king named Saul. And Saul, he was the first king of Israel, and then, of course, he made some mistakes, and God anointed David the king of Israel. And so David was like a musician for Saul, and he was a servant, and he did what he could. You know, he killed Goliath and all that stuff. And Saul, it becomes a family conflict. He marries Saul's daughter. And then Saul gets jealous of David and starts trying to kill him. It's a mess. It's a classic family mess. Haven't you ever been, looked at a family mess and you know you can't fix it? It's just like, it's like a ball of string. We just need to cut this thing off and get new string. Because I can't figure out why. Sometimes, you know, that was the way this thing was with Saul. It was a mess. And eventually, um, it, Jonathan is David's best friend, Saul's son. And, and Jonathan's like, I don't know why my dad's such a jerk. I don't get it. I don't know why he's doing this. And and eventually Saul starts trying to kill David out of jealousy. This bad thing would come up on him, just like families. 
And David had to run for his life. And he ends up running in the land of the Philistines forever. And he, he ends up in, in, a, in, in a place called Ziklag. And it's just at the bottom. He's been running and he's been estranged from everybody. His life has been a living hell. Eventually, here's the news that Saul has died and Jonathan had been killed. And that they were calling for him to become the king. So he's gone through this brutal, bloody set of circumstances, humiliating set of circumstances. Now he's coming back as king. And he comes back, he establishes himself as the king of Judah. Then he establishes himself the king of all Israel. He finishes, he sets everything in order. And that's where we find the story, 2 Samuel, the ninth chapter, and the uh, sixth verse. Now Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David... And he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth. Now, when David gets everything organized, it hits him that, you know, this is my family and this thing's messed up. And he starts thinking, I don't know what I can do, but I can do something. Normally when a king becomes the king, he goes out and kills all the relatives of the former king. But in this case, David, he gets the heart of God and says, you know what? I can't fix it, but you know, maybe I can. Let me just do whatever I can to fix it. So it says, is there anybody from the house of Saul? Is there anybody from the house of Jonathan left alive? And he calls a servant from the house of Saul and says, hey, look, his name is Ziba. He says, Ziba, is anybody left? And he said, yeah, man, there's just one guy. It was Jonathan's son. It was, he didn't get killed because he's crippled. His, his name is Mephibosheth. He was five years old, and when the news came, a bad news came, his nurse dropped him and broke both of his feet, and he can't walk since he's five. So he's living in the house of these people, and David's heart wells up with compassion. Now, this is the son, the grandson of his enemy. He doesn't know him, but he's saying, you know what? I'm going to do whatever I can to make things right. You just got to love the heart of God. You know, when you look back at it, you know how many of you just say, I don't even want to talk about the past. It's too big of a mess. Have you ever been in that kind of thing? Like, I don't even want to talk. Don't even bring it up. You don't even want to know. So how's your mom and them? Don't even talk about that. We ain't talking about that. I don't want to dig all that up. Have you ever felt like that? Just wave your hand. Because, you know, you tried it before and it just didn't work out. And so David says, you know what? I'm going into that mess. Yes, it was painful. Yes, it was hell. Yes, it was horrible. Yes, it was terrible. And you know what? I, would, I have every right to just go on with my life and be king. But I'm going to stop at some point and say, you know what? There, are, there must be some way, some kind of way to make this right and set this thing right. And that's my challenge to you this holiday. There must be some way to make it right. You might not be able to, you can't bring Jonathan back from the dead. You can't bring Saul back from the dead. But you might be able to find his grandson and, and find some way to take the, the, the ugly off of what has happened. And they said, yeah, he's in this guy's house. And, and, and he said, he sent, the king sent, he said, go get him. And I want you to focus for just one more moment on the servant that was listening to the king. The king says, go get, go get him. I know he can't walk. They didn't have wheelchairs and what have you. He said, I know he can't walk, but go get him. Whoever that servant was said, I'm gonna, I'll do that. And he shows up and sees little Mephibosheth scared. He said, the king sent me for you. 
And of course, he's assuming he's going to get killed. Because that's what happened in those days. If you were heir to the throne and, and the king hunted you down, you were hiding. And the king said, no, we uh, send for, for this guy. So he picks him up and he carries him. Whoever that guy was, I want you to remember him because, in fact, that's you. Whoever was the guy that said, you know what, I'm going to take the initiative. I don't have to have him come to me. I'm going to go to them. I'm going to find a way to fix it. I'm going to go the extra mile. I'm going to find where they are. I'm going to pick them up, and I'm going to bring them to the table. Everybody's got drug addict nephews and people that you just assume didn't be, weren't a part of your life. Some obscure person. But they brings them to the king, and that's where we find this story. And I'm going to close. He said, David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, here is your servant. And David said to him, he could see he was scared and freaking out. He said, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. We just need to stop there and say, you know what? Maybe you just need to show some kindness. Okay, they were wrong. They ran you out of town. They ruined your life. Okay. But you know, maybe you should show some kindness because you can. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, this is what Mephibosheth said. What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? He said, I don't even have a life. 2 Samuel 9, 11, As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Haven't you been the person that just bad things happen and and today you know God says you know what the whole table's for you I don't know about you I've been that guy and I thank God for the people that came and picked me up and brought me to the table all of these things I'm describing they take a little moral courage there's a little inconvenience it's a little awkward maybe but you know what seeing Mephibosheth that cripple sitting at the king's table when he thought he was going to die, when he thought he had no rights. This is the glory of God, man. This is the glory of Christmas. It's the glory of your life if you let it be. You don't have to ask for anything. You say, you know, I know you don't deserve it, but I'm going to treat you just like my family. He brings the lonely into families. I'm going to read this scripture, then I'm going to have my son sing a song. Ephesians 2, 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you once were far off, but have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. The blood of Jesus is the power to say, I don't care if they ever say they're sorry again. I've been forgiven, so I'm just going to forget. What if they don't? doesn't matter. This is a one-man show. I don't care if they ever love me back. I don't care if they ever return my kindness. I don't care. I've got to have the courage to step across that line 
And even though you, some of you are thinking, ooh, I could never step in. You know what? That's why you need the blood of Jesus, because his blood made peace. And then you can see them through that blood and say, you know what? They belong at the table. This season is not a time for separation. And you can't fix everything, but you can give it a go like David did. I can't fix it, but you know what? I can do something. That's my challenge. So today, as my son gets ready to sing, I'm going to have the ushers. We're going to pass out communion. And just hold it, because we're going to take it together after we hear this song. But I'm going to pray that while we're doing this song, I'm going to pray that the Lord brings two or three people to your mind. And so instead of just playing church and hearing stuff that we don't do, you know, you can write on that brown paper. You can put it on your phone. A couple of names that the Lord brings to your mind. Maybe not everybody, but you know, I got a huge list, unfortunately. And you just got to write that list and say, you know what? I'm going to unconditionally love that person. If I have to, I'm going to go pick them up and I'm going to bring them to the table. Do they deserve it? No. Did they ask for it? No. Did they say they were sorry? No, no, no. But you know what? As good as God's been to you, it's time for you to go the other, the other mile. So what? It doesn't work out. Even if it doesn't work out, it's, it's what happens in your heart that you stop being afraid to do the, the extra thing. And that you step into the courage of Jesus and you become a conqueror in your heart. And you won't be controlled by hurt. You won't be controlled by hurt feelings or fears. You won't be controlled by some conflict. But inside of you, there is a conqueror. And you're going to say, this year, I'm not finishing this year as a coward. I'm going to step out and I'm going to begin to love people and I'm going to begin to have that overcoming love. I love this scripture from the book of Romans. This is what it says. Don't be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Martin Luther King quoted it and it was true. Look what he was able to do. Don't refuse to be overcome by the conflict but overcome the conflict with good. Refuse to overcome to, to be overcome by what happened and let your emotions control you. But overcome what happens with love. And really be that person. Let that change. Today we will take communion. We're going to remember what Jesus did. But we're going to receive the strength from that crown. And we're going to remember that we are no longer defeated in life. But we reign in life. And we are not afraid to do whatever we need to do.